the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have and enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Praise the Lord. Okay, come with me to the book of Ephesians. Last year, like you know, our church went through a rebirth. And as part of the rebirth, we want to really get members grounded in the word of God properly. Praise God. It's not like you were not grounded in the word before, but we want to mature believers. Amen. I want to mature believers. Paul said that my objective is to present everyone matured in Christ. And that's what we want to seek to do as Christians. And if you are going to do that, we need to walk you through the epistles. The epistles is what's supposed to guide our lives. Jesus taught us, he showed us how to live. He set the foundation through the gospels. But the epistles actually shows us exactly how we ought to live our lives and what God expects of us, what Christ has done, and what he expects us to do in response. And so this particular book is dear to me also because that's where our theme for the year comes from. That is it. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. It says, For by grace ye are saved through faith and that out of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And in this book, we will come to appreciate what gift God has given unto us. When a man says, I am saved, you will see how richly God has gifted such a man. Okay, so last week, we began exploring the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1. Paul, somebody say Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. The entrance of your word gives light and then brings understanding to the simple. Breathe upon your word. Let understanding and revelation come. Grant me clarity of thought and of speech and grant understanding to every hearer. Thank you that we move from glory to glory, even as we behold you in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Okay, so last week we started by looking at the author of the book. One of the things you need to be able to learn is to learn how to study the Bible. Somebody say, study the Bible. Uh-huh. And if you are going to study the Bible, you need to know how. You need to know how. If you pick up a Bible, you want to know everything about what you are doing a book study. There's what we call character study. And this year we'll be doing a number of such teaching. This is book study. There's character study. There's topical study where you pick up a topic and you want to know everything the Bible says about it. You can pick marriage. You pick husband. You pick wife. And everything the Bible has to say, that's topical study. Then you can also pick character study. Character study is when you pick a phenomenal biblical character like David. 
And everything that God has to say or scripture has to say about David, you want to know it. You pick a character like Joseph and you want to study him. You pick a character like Peter and you want to study him. That is character study. And then, of course, we have book study. Somebody say book study. Now, book study is when you pick up a book of the Bible and then you begin to study it. And in this teaching, I'm just helping you to know how to study a book. If you are going to study a book, among many things, you want to know who wrote the book, to whom the book was written, what is the major theme of the book, what are the expectations in the book, how is the book structured, the outline of the book, how can you get the best out of the book. All of these things are things that we'll be seeking to explore in this study. And this morning is part of the introduction I started last week. Last week, we only talked about Paul. Somebody say Paul. Paul. Right, because Paul, his name means list. But he was one man, though called list, became an outstanding personality. He said, Paul, I'm the least of all saints. The name Paul means least, something little. And yet, as little as he was, some people think that because of his physical stature, that's how he took the name Paul. But whatever it is, this man didn't look very impressive in the natural, but he was able to do amazing things. He was able to do significant things for God. And I told you last week, regardless of your own standing and background and physical stature, God can still use you. Somebody say an amen. amen. All right, so we looked at Paul and how he transitioned from being Saul to Paul. He used to be Saul, one who was persecuting the church, and then he became Paul, a preacher of the church or Christ, whom he used to persecute. Today, we want to continue again, but today our focus largely is going to be on the city of Ephesus and the church of Ephesus. But of course, we have to connect. So, the book was written by Paul, like I told you last time, and is believed to have been written by him while he was serving a jail term or a prison term in prison. In the book of Acts chapter 26, verse 16, these are fundamental introductions, so you have to bear with me, it's not uh, the shouting type. Now, when we arrive in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. So he was under house arrest. He couldn't move about freely. And while he was in prison, he started writing. A number of his letters were written. You know, Paul talked about his imprisonment. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, when he was talking about the things that makes him a minister, he wasn't talking about the kind of house he had, the buildings he had, the watches he wear, the shoes he wear. He was talking about, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors, more abundant. What qualifies you as a minister is how much labor you are able to make for the Lord. Then he says, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. So Paul spent a number of times in prison. He said he was in prison more frequently. And According to the scriptural text, we see a number of times he was in prison. You remember in the city of Philippi, he and Silas were kept in prison one night and they praised their way out. And for some people, that's about all they know about Paul, that he was kept in prison one night and he came out. But according to 2 Corinthians, we are told he was in prison more frequently. What were some of the prison terms he served? He served two long prison terms. 
One of them was in first two years prison term was set in Caesarea. Let's look at that in Acts chapter 24, verse 22 to 27. He says, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he had joined the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for him or visit him. Still under house arrest. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away from now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he may release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. That means that this, uh, <laughs> the exchange of goats and fowls that we had a couple of years ago, it didn't start yesterday. You know, <laughs> even in Pause, people were still looking for money. Judges were still collecting money and they were freeing people. <laughs> but after two years, Portius Festus succeeded and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, let Paul bound. That is, he released him. And then, of course, he served a second two-year prison term. And this was in Rome. This was when he appealed to Caesar and he had to travel all the way to Rome. Now, when you read these books, the, the book of Acts actually gives us a history of the church. How the church was born and how the church was functioning from the very early stages. And so, that is it. The whole Bible is actually divided into history. It is into law and then what they call poetry. Poetry. The Old Testament is divided into those categories. We have the law, which has to do with the uh, four books of Moses. When we talk about the law, technically, the law does not include Genesis because Genesis is a book on its own. Genesis, we don't have any law in Genesis. Genesis has to do with the story of creation, how the world came into existence and all of that. Everything that began, began in Genesis. Marriage began in Genesis. Salvation began in Genesis. Everything that began, began in Genesis. And then, of course, from there, we move to the law. So, the law has to do with Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers. Those four books have to do with the law. And in it, we have all the laws, the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, and all of those laws are there. And then, of course, you move on, we come into history, which gives us a biblical account of some of the things that happened. So history, we look at Judges and his history. We look at uh, Joshua, his history of the conquest in, uh, when they got to the land. We look at history all the way to Esther, through, 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 through. And then we come to, what do you call it, poetry, which has to do with the Psalms and Job. And then, of course, the Proverbs, they all have to do with poetry. And then we come to the prophets. Somebody say the prophets. Okay, so the prophets, that's where we have all the prophets. Isaiah, Daniel, all of those prophets. So that's how the Old Testament is structured. And then when we come into the New Testament, it's still the same thing. The New Testament is also structured in virtually the same thing. It gives us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It gives us an account of the beginning of the ministry of Christ. It gives us a detailed account of how it all started. And then, after that, we come to history again. The book of Acts gives us a historical account of the church. 
when the Holy Ghost came, how the church was born, and every other thing follows in that context. And then, of course, we come to the letters. The letters have to do with how we ought to live our lives, how the new man in Christ is expected to live, how salvation was wrought, and how we ought to live as Christians. And of course, it still ends with prophecy, just like the old. It ends with prophecy. The book of Revelation gives us a prophecy of the last days. Amen? Okay, so we are into the letters. The letters really, 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 really shows us what is available for us in Christ and how we ought to live our lives as Christians. Most of the things that happen in the Gospels, they are not prescriptive. They are not prescriptive. In other words, they are not things that we are to live our lives by, as it were. But in the letters, in the letters, we see how the new man in Christ, what God expects of him and how he ought to live his life. Somebody say an amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in Ephesians. And I said that his second two-year prison term was in Rome. We see that in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. That is another house arrest the man was under. Now, because of the prison that the man was in or the house arrest he was under and the letters he wrote, Most of such letters he wrote are called prison epistles or prison letters. Prison letters simply means the letters he wrote while he was in prison. And Ephesians is one of such letters. When you read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, he talks about the fact that he was in prison. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So when he says for prisoner, it's not like a terminology he's trying to put on himself. It actually reflects where he was at the time. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, as for me, that all trans may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Or I'm an ambassador in prison. This letter, when he wrote it, is believed to have been delivered to the, the church of Ephesus through the hands of Tychicus. And that can be seen in Ephesians 6, verse 21 to 22. To bring you up to date, Tychicus, who would give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I am getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. So, we we see the purpose for the letter. He wrote the letter and he sent it through this young man and he tells him this is why the letter was written. It's believe among many things was for him to know what was happening and then also bring them up to date on how he himself was doing and also be a source of encouragement to them. There are other prison letters Paul wrote. It's not only Ephesians. Philippians was written in prison. That's one of those prison letters. Look at that with me. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. I told you that things I will do so that next time when I'm teaching another book, I will not have to do them again. 
So that's why I'm taking time to walk you through all of these. He said, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the goodness. Can you imagine that? A man is in prison and he's thanking God that the prison term was not abuse. He said, everything that happened to me, including my time in prison, has helped to advance the gospel. That's why in the book of Philippians, every now and again, he was rejoicing. He said, I say unto you, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. How could he rejoice? Because he had a better perspective on the things that were happening to him. There are things you are going through. But when you lack a proper scriptural perspective of the things, you'll be looking for pity and you'll be looking for empathy when you should be actually coming out to encourage people and strengthen people. Somebody say an amen. amen. Look at that. He said, for everyone here, he's giving reasons why he was happy. He wasn't in prison crying and wailing and regretting. Why did I even go and preach? No, that's not Paul. He said, everything that happened to me, he spoke like the way, you know, the man Joseph spoke. He said, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There are things that sometimes in our walk with God, people do against us. And that is why you don't really have to have an enemy because somebody did something against you. Because God has a greater purpose for everything that happens to you in this life. So for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Now look at this. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Praise the Lord. That is Philippians. Again, Colossians was also written while he was in prison. That's also one of the prison letters. So when we say we are doing a quiz and we are asking you, give us some of Paul's prison letters. You should be able to know. Now, he says, and because, Colossians 4.3, don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I am locked up in this jail. Verse 18, I am signing off my own handwriting, Paul. Remember to pray for me in this day. Grace be with you. That's a matter. Again, Philemon was also written while he was in prison. So the man wrote a lot while he was in prison. Philemon 1, 8 to 13. In line with all of these, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ ambassadors, and don't get tired that I'll be reading a lot because we are reading a book. Somebody say we are reading a book. Uh-huh. So let me read, and then where there's application, I will show you. You see, what matures people is precept upon precept, line upon line teaching. It's not just uh, getting you excited and then you just get up and go. No. In line with all of these, I have a favor to ask of you as Christ's ambassadors and now a prisoner for him. I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary. But I would rather make it a personal request. While here in jail, I have fathered a child, so to speak. And here he is, hand carrying this letter, Onesimus. So that was Onesimus. Paul got him converted. He was a servant when his master stole some things away from him and then left his master. And later, when he, where he went, he also went and stole again. And then they locked him up in jail. And in jail, he met Paul. And Paul spoke to him. He became converted. And then he wanted to keep him. But he said, when he got to know his former master, whom he also knew, he said, I'm going to send you back to your master. And so he wrote this letter. And he, he sent it to him. He said, he was useless to you before. 
Now he's useful to both of us. That's what the gospel of Christ makes us. Those of us who were useless before, the Bible says, for you know your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh have been called, not many noblemen, but God has chosen the foolish things, the useless things of this world to confound the wise. So this man was useless before, but now Christ had entered his life and had made him useful. Somebody say, I am useful because of Christ. So he said, now he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you. But it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I wanted in the worst way to keep him here as your stand in to help out while I'm in jail for this message. There's also what we call the pastoral letters. And it's believed that the pastoral letters were also written from prison. The pastoral letters are three. They are called pastoral letters because they give instruction to the pastors, or it was written to pastors to know how to organize the church, lead the church, and make sure that structure and order is established in the church. And those three books are First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Somebody say First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Now look at Second Timothy. So you see, in all the prison letters, one of the things you will see is that. By all means, there will be one or two references to his time in prison. And that's what we are seeing from what we are learning. Look at that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. Remember that I, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto, even unto, even unto, but the word of God is not bound. That's why he could release the word. While he was in prison, he was releasing the word of liberty to many people. The word of God is not bound. Again, 2 Timothy 1.8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Somebody say an amen. amen. Okay, so we looked at Paul Last week, we established that he was the author. And now we just start on where he was and when he wrote the book. Where was he when he was writing the book? The book was written around 50, 60, AD 60 to AD 62 while he was under house arrest. That's when Paul wrote the book. So we want to continue. The recipient, who did he write the letter to? Who did Paul write the letter of Ephesians to? Most Bible scholars believe that this letter was an encyclical letter or a secular letter. That's a letter that is written and is designed to uh, be read by a number of people. Okay? So they believe that it was not just written specifically just for the church of Ephesus, but it was written for all the churches in Asia Minor. And there are reasons why they believe this is the case. Because in the oldest manuscripts, the oldest Greek manuscript of this book, we don't have the word in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. That word you see there is not there. It said, Paul, an epistle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. The word in Ephesus in the oldest original manuscript is not there. They brought it there so it could make sense. And so that's it. So they believe that it was written for the whole of Asia Minor. So it was not just sent only to the church of Ephesus, but to the whole of Asia Minor, the churches around the area. But it was 
probably first sent to the church of Ephesus. Now, when you look at it here, you see that let's assume that the church of Ephesus was the first recipient of the letter. But in it, you also see that there are two things there. Please go back to the text. It says, Paul and the people of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in, in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The word faithful has to do with believers. So the letter was not just written to the people who were scattered in Asia Minor, but it was also written for all believers all time. This text is written to all believers all time. When you read most of the other letters of Paul, you realize that you can always tell a certain local content in the letter. So when you pick a letter like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he tells them about issues that were going on, the people wrote to him, and he was writing to correct some of those things. There is nothing like that. In this letter, there is nothing Paul was correcting. There was virtually, he was not in an angry mood. He was in a very fine mood, unlike Galatians. He says, are you so foolish that you are begun in the spirit and you are finishing in, in the flesh? Some of the letters, when he, you could see that the tone was something else. But this one, I mean, he starts, he said, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and loved it, I cease not to. I mean, amazing things. Praise God. And that's why a lot of Bible scholars believe that it was written for all believers. The content also helps us to see that. Now, let's look at the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus. Because that's what I told you we are going to deal with. You see, an understanding or a knowledge of the city helps you to be able to appreciate the content of the letter. So some of the things that when you read in the letter, you will better appreciate when you understand the city, the city of Ephesus. In Paul's time, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire with a population of about 500,000 people. It was a very rich city. So when he talks about the riches of our inheritance in Christ, in the book of Ephesus, he was not speaking. He chose the, the city that he wrote the letter to match the riches of our inheritance in Christ he was talking about. This was a very wealthy city. Wealthy city. It was very important politically, educationally, and commercially. Those times, it runs, and it came behind cities like Alexandra and... Antioch of Pisidia in Asia Minor. It was a center of learning and was positioned near several land routes in Western Asia Minor. We'll get to that. Ephesus was a religious city, center of the province because of the temple of Diana. It also boasted of three temples to the emperors, making the imperial court the worship of emperor as a deity especially prominent. Okay. Now, when you look at Ephesus then, it was more like uh, Las Vegas or Amsterdam of today when it comes to immorality and filth. That was Ephesus. So when he writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, and he says, do not be drunk with wine, wearing his excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the need for people to live a life full of the Spirit and not be given to filthy living. Somebody say an amen. Now, the practice of magic and occult was very prominent in Ephesus. Occultic practices were very, very common and prominent in the city of Ephesus. It was in the city of Ephesus. Let's see Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Last week I talked about this. It was in Ephesus that 
aprons from his body was taken and then when they used it on the sick, they were healed. And you know, when you enter an occultic city, a city where people and people see these kind of things, wow, they want to quickly get the same thing. So you realize that here, the sons of Sceva, let's continue verse 12. When handkerchiefs or aprons had merely touched his skin were placed on the sick people, they were healed of their disease and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in their incantation. Say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Praise the Lord. Yeah. They had no relationship with Jesus, but they wanted to do exploits in the name. So they said, come out. The demon says, we will not come out, but we will bring you out. <laughs> Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then, the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Praise the Lord. Now, now, that was then, but he says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, but who are you? You see, that question is very important because in the letter to the Ephesians, one of the things Paul sought to help believers to appreciate is who they are in Christ. Who are you? You are attempting to cast a demon out. Who are you? That's why your identity, getting to know who you are in Christ, is so important and is discussed extensively in this book. Who are you? Because until you answer the question of who you are, if you can't tell who you are, you are not likely to be able to tell what you can do. So that's it. Again, we also see that in this city, there were people who were practicing magical things. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 18 to 20. And many who had believed, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. You see, the conversion that took place in this city was authentic and genuine. There are people who sometimes get born again, but their born again experience is not so genuine. They still hold on to things. There are people who can confess Christ as Lord and Savior and they say, wear talisman. I may not even be surprised if somebody is here and he has some talisman with him. But these guys, when they gave their heart out to the Lord, they gave up every other thing. Bible said they brought the books and the magic, the, the, the other things, and they, they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. It was in the city of Ephesus. Now, because of their extensive fascination with the occult and uh, the supernatural. That's why when Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians and he was talking about for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. He was talking about in that context. This is a city that appreciated occultic powers. And so he needed to draw the attention to help them appreciate that. Listen, in this your newfound faith, you don't just function with your natural eyes. There are supernatural forces you are contending with. And you need to be able to be alert and be ready for all of such. Somebody say an amen. amen. Okay. The city of Ephesus was known for three major things. It was known for temple. 
It was known for trade and it was known for tourism. Temple. Temple. The temple made the city of Ephesus a major tourist center. People travel all the way from many other parts of Asia Manor just to come to Ephesus. And the reason why they came was because of the temple that was built to Diana or Artemis. Diana is the Roman and Artemis is the Greek. Now, the temple was built to a fertility goddess called Diana. The worship of this god encouraged prostitution. So in the temple, the people were serving in the temple were prostitutes. That's what they were doing in the temple. And this attracted a lot of people. The magnitude of immorality in this city was huge. So read in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. When he was talking about Ephesians chapter 5, give me Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 to 3. He started talking about how you ought to live. Verse 1, please. He said, By ye therefore be followers of God as dear children. Because you see, this book has to do with the new man in Christ and the new community he's supposed to function in. So he wrote and told them, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and had given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling summer. Go to verse. He said, By fornication. Because that was what was very predominant in the city, among many things. And so he said, if you are going to be different, you are going to be a different community, then you need to stay away from such things. And the same must be said of us in our time also. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. We are a new people. There are things that must not be associated with us. Why? Because we are born again. We are born again and we need to let go of such things. So it was known for the temple. Somebody say the temple. And then trade. Fred made the city very wealthy. One of the themes Paul addresses in the book of Ephesians is the riches of our inheritance in Christ. How that the Christian is super wealthy through Christ. Amen? He said that the eyes of your understanding, that you may know what is the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance in the saints. Great riches. This was a city that understood wealth. It was a port city and a wealthy city for that matter. Major port city in the region and the center for the whole uh, province of Asia. Ephesus was known as the gateway to Asia. Why? Because there were four major trade roads that led into the city of Ephesus. Major, major, major. Listen, people from all around the region, they came to do business. It was like a commercial capital. Pergamum was a political capital, but Ephesus was more like the commercial capital. People traveled in and out of Ephesus and they were either there for a holiday or for business. That was Ephesus. And then, of course, tourism. Ephesus was known for tourism because of the temple that was built there. The temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the then ancient world. People traveled all the way there and they wanted to see this temple that had been built. Let's quickly look at some few facts about the church of Ephesus. I hope somebody is learning something this morning. Uh-huh. This is a, a school. <laughs> when we are done with this, then we will get to next week, hopefully, we'll begin to get into the outline of the book to appreciate the contents of the book. Ephesians, some facts about the church of Ephesus. Now, the church was founded by Apostle Paul. During the second missionary journey, AD 52, 
Look at Acts chapter 18. Some people actually believe that it was founded by Aquila and Priscilla, but I believe that Paul must have founded the church and had left it in the care of Aquila and Priscilla for the very uh, early years. Look at that. Acts chapter 18, verse 18 to 19 to 20. Acts 18, 18 to 20. Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sangria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus. So he came to Ephesus in the company of Aquila and Priscilla. And left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a little longer with them, he did not consent. So, believe that when he came, he came with these guys, started the church, and left them to pastor the church, and then he went on. The church of Ephesus and the city of Ephesus meant a lot to Paul because that was a place of, in all his missionary journeys, there was not a place he stayed as much long as he did in the city of Ephesus. He spent about three years there pastoring the church of Ephesus. And the Bible says, out of the city of Ephesus, the whole region of Asia was imparted by the gospel. Look at that. At chapter 19, verse 1 to 2, all of this is history and it's relevant to biblical history. Some of us have some wrong histories in our head. This is biblical history worthy of note. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Let's read a bit here. Go to verse 2. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. That's what Apollos was preaching. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after them. That is on Christ. Verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Verse 7. Now the men were about 12 in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them concerning the things of the kingdom. Verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude departed from them and withdrew the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now let's look at verse number 10. This continued for how many years? For two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And that gives you an idea of the composition of the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was made up of both Jews and Greeks. It was made up of both Greeks and Jews. So, in the book of Ephesians, when he was writing, he says, and he has broken down the middle wall of partition. So, the middle wall had been broken. There is neither Greek nor Jew. He said that uh, in uh, Galatians. But here he said, the middle wall of partition had broken. Okay. Tell on the church of Ephesus. Come with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse number 22. He was talking about the church of Ephesus there. And see, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that were 
that will happen to me before then. This was when he called for the leadership of the church of Ephesus to address them on his way to. Except that the Holy Spirit testified in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord to testify of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 25. And indeed, now I know that among you whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you that this day I am innocent from the blood of all men. For I have no son to declare to you the whole counsel of God. How could he show them the whole counsel? Precept upon precept, teaching, consistent. Now verse 28. Therefore, take it to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage whoops, and he was talking about doctrina, people will come in with strange doctrines. He said they will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30. Also from among you yourselves will men rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Verse 31. Therefore watch, and remember that for how many years? For how many years? I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. Can you imagine? When you are coming to church twice a week, it's a challenge for you. For three solid years, night and day, Paul was engaging them. Teaching them the word of God. Teaching them the word of God. That's why the Bible said, the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. Because the dose, the word dose was heavy. Was heavy. Day and night. Day and night. Then verse 32, he said, but I commend you to God and to the, so brethren, I commend you to the God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are, among all them that are, yeah, so that's the church. Now, when he established the church, it's believed that the first pastors of the church were Aquila and Priscilla, but beyond them, we know that Timothy also pastored the church of Ephesus. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Because you see the prophecy he gave, that prophecy had come to pass. So there were people who had risen up in the church of Ephesus and they were teaching all kinds of things. Hermenus and uh, this, they were teaching that the resurrection had passed already. Paul sent Timothy, he said, go there and deal with that issue. Again, it's also established that scholars believe that the man, Apostle John, actually was also at one time or the other, either a pastor or a member, he did something in this church. And it was from Ephesus that he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he encountered the revelations he encountered. But let's look at the end stage of the church of Ephesus. Because it also gives us a lot of instruction. John's revelation is like after 30 years or so after the church of Ephesus was born. Look at Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Look at this. I know your works. Somebody say, I know your works. Can I speak to you this morning? 
He says, I know your works. The letter to Ephesus is not a letter about works, but we are told that this church was noted for works. The Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But along the, just about a chapter away, he talks about the fact that we are his workmanship, which have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What works are you engaged in? It's amazing that when Christ spoke to the church, the first thing he addressed was their works. I know your works. What works are you involved with in the house of God? Young men, you just come to church and then you go. You can't make time to serve either in the ashes, in the choir. You are always busy, except it has to do with yourself, your family. You can't simply make time for the work of God. He said, I know your works. Now listen, works are very insignificant and useless when a person is not saved. But when you get saved, works matter a lot to God. Our works after we are saved matters a lot to God. He didn't say, I know your singing. I know your, your praying. I know your works. I know your works. When Jesus was speaking in the book of Revelation, he said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give unto every man according as his works shall be. Salvation is not by works, but salvation, truly understood, becomes a motivator for good works. Praise God. When you really understand that something was done, something valuable, a heavy price was paid for you to be saved, you become committed to great works. You want to go all out. What? You, you know, no, imagine. I mean, if you look at the motivation of the early Christians, it's far different from our motivation. Our motivation today, somebody comes to church because he's believing God for a wife. Somebody's coming to church because he's believing God for a breakthrough. Somebody's coming to church because he's trusting God. And so everything we do is view in that light. What am I getting out of it? No. See what you have received out of Christ, then respond as such. The early Christians were not looking at what they were getting out. They were motivated by what they had received. Praise God. When they look at what they had received and the price that was paid for them to have what they had, it, it was so much that they were overwhelmed and super motivated to go all out to the point of wanting to die for Christ. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul helps us to see what has been done for us in Christ. Everything. Because you see, legalism is when we attempt to do things for God in order to win his favor. Love is when we do things for God because we have understood what he has done for us. Legalism, you are doing it to win his favor. And love is doing it because you have already won his favor. He has already loved you. That's the difference. And in the book of Ephesians, we see both. The first three chapters, he shows us what has been made available for us. And then the last three chapters, he shows us what he expects of us to do in the light of what has been made available for us. He says, I know your works. Somebody say, I know your works. I know your works. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. Your labor. Your labor. Your labor. Receive grace to labor for God. Amen. I know your works. I, you know, in the book of Revelation, that's one of the texts I like so much. Revelation 13, 14. He said, blessed are those who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Praise God. 
Their works follow them. Their works of righteousness, their works of sacrifice, their works follow them. When you close your eyes and you reach the other side, what kind of works will be following you? Somebody say, I know your works. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. This was not a this was a no-nonsense church. This was not a church that will condone and sit on evil and sin. No. So in the book of Ephesians, he tells us, he says that we should reprove, we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's what the church was doing. It will reprove them, it will deal with it. It was not shouting and celebrating sin. That was not Ephesus. Look at that. Please go back to Revelations where I'm reading. I know your words. He said, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them lies. This was a discerning church. You don't just come and prophesy and Ephesians, they will be clapping for you. No. When a church is immature, any preaching is a good preaching. Any preaching is a good preaching. Particularly when it makes you feel condemned and worthless. That's good preaching. I really felt the message. (laughs) I know your words. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them to be liars. Very discerning church. You know, in the book of Ephesians, when he was talking, he said that you may not be children, that you may grow up not being children, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That's not that. That's not the Ephesian church. They couldn't be, they were rooted and grounded. <laughs> Look at this. Nevertheless, he said, you are, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Receive grace, not become weary. Laboring for God brings you to the point of wanting to be weary. He said, do not be weary in well doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. These guys served, they labored, they gave, they did over and over again, and they were not weary. Praise God. That was a good side about them. That was a commendation about them. But he says, there is something you have left. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Where have they fallen? Their labor was intact. Their patience was intact. Their works were intact. But where had they fallen? He said, and do the first works. And else, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Praise God. You see, this church no longer exists. This, all the things you have described, you have described it happened around uh, uh, Modern day Turkey, that's where the church of Ephesus used to be. And this church no longer exists. The church of Jesus Christ cannot die, but a local church can die. Praise God. A local church, what? There are things that if you don't deal with and you are allowed to grow, it can destroy a local church. Praise God. Well, look at verse 6. He said, remember from where you are falling, but this I have. You hate the deeds. Remember, no, verse 4 is where I was looking for. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Somebody say first love. First say love. First, love. first love. If there is one thing we must seek to guard all the time is our love for God and the brethren. What makes a Christian a Christian eh, is not his tongues. It's not his singing. It's not his preaching. It's his love. Somebody say my love. My love. Say my love. 
You see, when the love is genuine and authentic, all the other things will follow. Your works will be there. Your patience will be there. But when you are doing all of that, but you are not doing it out of love, you grow weary easily. The reason why they, they labor for God and could not become weary was because they were driven by love. They left their first love. You know, when Paul was writing to them, one of the first things he talked about was their love. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. He said, therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love to all the saints. But at the time that this revelation came to John, the church of Ephesus had become a loveless church. My question to you this morning, have you left off where you first started with the Lord? Where is your first love? When you gave without question, when you serve willingly, how do you evaluate that? And listen, the test that there, there is only one biblical test that you have left your first love, your first works. Somebody say your first works. Your first works. Yeah, works, works. When you got born again fresh, whoo, service time you were first to be there. Now you wait. Ah, when uh, uh, opening prayer and everything is finished, you just walk in majestically because you want people to see your new dress and shudder. First works. We say we are doing an outreach. You will be there. But today you have grown. You know, now these things are for baby Christians. You know, evangelism. You know, those days when we used to be young, we used to reach out. Listen, you must always remain a child before the Lord. Praise God. Grow spiritually, but in attitude and character, remain a child. Praise God. Sometimes when you were young, if a prayer meeting was called, you were excited. But today, you know how, no, prayer doesn't need to be long for it to be effective. You know, you just lift up your hand and God, 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 God has heard me. You know, effective prayer does not necessarily, we know that. Don't give us a lecture. But Jesus knew that effective prayer doesn't have to be long. But he prayed all night in prayer. Praise God. He prayed three times. Again and again. One hour, one hour, one hour, one hour. Three hours within a short period of time. So don't give us a lecture. Paul said, I, I pray in tongues more than ye all. He also knew that effective prayer doesn't need to be long in order for it to be sharp. What I'm saying this morning is that no matter what we lose in church, we should never lose our love for God. We should never lose our love for people. The moment we lose our love for God and for people, we cease to be children of God. Why? Because God is love. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God, and he knows God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So, the acid test that you know God, the acid test that you are a child of God, the acid test that you are you, you really carry the nature of God is the fact that you are walking in love. Praise God. Love will be challenged. Love may be fought hard against. Your love may was cold because of many things. But no matter what it is, you lose. You may lose money. You may lose your friends. You may lose some relationship. But if there is one thing you must always protect above all things, it's your love for God and love for the saints. The Bible says, Oh, no man, nothing but love. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34, By this, all men will know 
You are my disciples indeed, because you have loved one for another. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord give you understanding. May the grace of God help you to walk deeper and deeper in love. May your love for God never grow uh, cold. May your love for God be growing stronger and stronger. As your days, may so be your strength. In Jesus' precious name. Open your mouth and begin to speak to God. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. <laughs>